Rinkwide Vancouver. all season some signs of trouble creeping into the Vancouver Canucks game they go 0 for on a three-game road trip they've lost four in a row and they just didn't have it in a 5-2 loss to the Seattle Kraken at Climate Pledge Arena and that's where we're coming to you from on this episode of Rinkwide Vancouver usually we're in our Rinkwide studio in the Wall Center Hotel and Center really says it all the Wall Center in the middle of downtown Vancouver close to just about everything from restaurants to shopping to sports venues and English Bay so consider Wall Center Hotel for your next staycation or if you have people in from out of town. Jeff Patterson here in Seattle, joined by Farhan Walji of TSN. And Farhan, I came a long way to see this uh, <laughs> level of performance from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they played well in Colorado. We gave them credit uh, on the last episode. This was different. This one feels different. And I think even to the players, and certainly an agitated Rick Tockett, and you're going to hear from him a little bit later on, they sense that there are some things creeping into their game now that they have to find a way to correct. Yeah, look, this was awful. This was all shades of awful. And I came on in the last show and said the same thing, that, look, nothing to panic about because I liked what they were doing five-on-five in all three games, right? Whether it was uh, uh, the the back-to-backs with Minnesota and Colorado or even before that at home against Winnipeg, I thought, you know, they lost those games in the power play and I thought they did some really good things. There was nothing good about this game. Nothing good about it. They scored first. Yes, they've done that before. And, you know, they kind of went back and forth. Late in the first period... The ice got tilted. It started with a giveaway by Philip Roenick, actually two in the same sequence, and the Canucks never found their game again. And their power play is getting worse. And Rick Tockett said, okay, we got to, you know, try something different. So we went with two defensemen, and Philip Roenick went out there, and he was not good. He didn't deliver any kind of the shots that they would have expected him to deliver. You know, you almost got into a situation where who was the quarterback, right? Because it was Quinn Hughes playing on the half wall and you know now you don't have uh, JT Miller in that spot and you know Quinn Hughes is not as effective there when you expect him to be the guy that that runs the show eventually they change that and they they put Pius Suter back in and took Ronick out like the the momentum got sucked out of this team with how bad those first two early power plays were and you know early on right you and I talked before the road trip started, and I, pr- I had a prediction that the Canucks were going to go 0-2-1. and This was not a game I thought they'd get a point out of, because this was, on some levels, a schedule loss, right? They played five games in the last seven nights. They've had a bunch of games in the road. Like it, The schedule is not doing them favors. This is when the guys that are at the All-Star break, you know, you, you kind of wish they had a break instead of six guys going and being a part of it. So you knew that there would be some hiccups tonight, and the Kraken are hungry. But uh, even Rick Tockett, and again, you mentioned we'll get to it later, like he was not pulling any punches, uh, you know, last game, put the velvet glove on, said a lot of good things that, you know, we did some good things, but here, uh, too many no-shows and the quotes were fantastic and he didn't hold back. And he started by saying, I don't have a lot to say tonight and had a lot to say tonight because there (laughs) was a lot to say about how bad this team was. I mean, it was, to quote Shaquille O'Neal, horror awful. And in the third period, there was nothing. Down two, you know, you don't want to let this thing fester. You got to find a way to get something out of this. And we've seen this team fight back in previous games. They had nothing left in the tank. I mean, there's just so much to get to here. And you're right. Like, this team just didn't have anything tonight. Five shots on goal in the first period. 12 shots through two when you're a team that's lost three in a row. I saw no desperation. And you touched on it. Facts are facts here. 
This was their 10th game in 17 nights. When you consider that includes an Eastern road trip out of the All-Star break and 10, eight of the 10 games uh, have been on the road. So it's been a lot. And they went through a stretch like that back in November and went 500. And this time around, they have three wins in their last nine hockey games now. So they are flushing points on a pretty regular basis. They're getting some help in as much as Vegas is struggling and they got absolutely whacked by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And maybe Vegas isn't even the team to watch. Maybe it is the Edmonton Oilers ultimately with all of those games in hand. Whatever the case, the Canucks 37-16-6 now. They remain on 80 points, but they're no longer the league leaders in points percentage. They've been passed by teams like Florida and the Boston Bruins. So again, there were going to be struggles along the way. We knew that. Everything's gone so right for this hockey club, but to hear the coach and to see him, to be there in his scrum here in Seattle, that's as visibly agitated as I've seen Rick talk it after a game. And again, his team's won a whole lot more than it's lost, so he hasn't had a lot of nights. And on a lot of nights when they've lost, he's tried to play the good cop role and butter them up a little bit, but there was no hiding from this one. Uh, Just so disconnected. It was unbelievable. Like, you know, you referenced that shift. Heronic, Hughes, Lindholm, Pedersen. Like, those are four of the best players on this hockey club. Get absolutely pinned. Elias Lindholm was out for two minutes and 39 seconds. Hughes and Heronic were at, like, 224. And Pedersen was sort of in that time frame as well. Like, that's just stuff that we don't see and haven't seen all season long, Farhan. No, you're right. And, you know, he also talked about on the on the penalty kill and just how bad their clears were tonight. And you look at that first one, right? Uh, Canucks had two chances to clear the puck, but they just couldn't get a handle on it. And uh, and then uh, just as soon as the power play ends, uh, Dunn scores to, to tie the game at one. But, it, yeah, there was just – there were more of those types of shifts. Uh, you know, we talk about the, the Ronick um, – you know, with the turnover, he had a second chance to clear it. Demko made a bunch of saves. I think they were in their own end for almost two minutes. I think it was around a minute 48, uh, something like that. You know, and like I said, it, it just got tilted. And yeah, you asked, I heard you ask Rick about just how disconnected they were. And he talked about their staples, right? And just what is missing right now. Yeah. So, and they don't have a lot of time to practice, right? I think it was Kate asked him about that, that's, uh, you might have, and he's like, well, we play at four o'clock, right? So <laughs> I'd love to practice for a week right now because clearly they needed, they, they've forgotten how to play their systems. And maybe we're overreacting and not factoring the schedule into this enough. But we have seen this team at the back end of a difficult schedule. And we have marveled at how they have found something and how they've been professional and clinical. And look, this wasn't a great team. Like the the Kraken are fighting. They're trying to get into it. But even Talk had said that if these guys think this is a playoff game, like the playoffs are a whole different level, right? Like he rolled his eyes at the thought that, oh yeah, this is going to be like playoff hockey. No, no, no. Playoff hockey is going to get a whole lot tougher because the teams are a whole lot better than Seattle. You know, and, and they may get Seattle in the first round, right? There was a lot to not like uh, in terms of their response because you would have thought that, yeah, okay, we know that it's the back end of a road trip, but they also know you don't want to lose your fourth straight, right? Regardless of schedule, you've got to find something. And the coach referenced it as well, right? Like they needed to do more than they did tonight because even with the schedule and all the built-in excuses, simply wasn't good enough. So hopefully they get a chance to look at themselves in the mirror because, uh, Boston lost tonight in overtime. They're going to come in hungry, and Boston certainly, you know, has a right to feel like they're, you know, I don't want to say they're in the Canucks' head, but they've got to feel pretty good about how they performed in the last time the, these two teams played. Well, if people don't think that there is some trouble around this hockey club, if they lose to Boston, you know that people's hair will be on fire. 
if there is one silver lining to come out of a loss to the Kraken, it's the point that you just made, like for the good of the rivalry, a win by Seattle and a loss by the Vancouver Canucks makes the reality of a first round matchup. Now the Kraken still have some work to do and there's a lot of movement around that playoff bar, but the Kraken are creeping back into the playoff picture at the very least. So we'll see where it goes, but it is conceivable that this was it for the regular season series and the Kraken take it two games to one may not be the last time that the Vancouver Canucks see the Seattle Kraken because a playoff matchup is possible. Now, when I looked at this game and saw that Philip Grubauer was getting the start, I thought, this is an opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks. This was his second game since early December. He's been hurt. He came back. He got a win against the Islanders. But this is a hockey club that's leaned on Joey Decord, and Philip Grubauer has become the backup here. And anytime you got Thatcher Demko at one end, I don't care who's at the other end. The Canucks want to believe that they've got an advantage in goal we saw three shots from distance. Now, there was traffic in front of Demko. He talked about kind of getting locked up with Nikita Zadorov on that third goal, the Schultz goal from the sideboards, but done from distance. Jared McCann, and we saw this as a rookie when he was a Canuck forehand, that dude can shoot the puck. But there were breakdowns, and Rick Tockett always talks about the guts of the ice. You know, you're killing the penalty there, and Teddy Bluger gets drawn out of position. The puck comes to McCann, wheels around, but man, did he get a ton on that bar and in, but you don't see goals from distance in today's National Hockey League. And so to see the first three from the Seattle Kraken, I think for me, the troubling part there was that they were all relatively uncontested. And again, it just sort of spoke to the Vancouver Canucks being off their game in a funk, not dialed in, not sticking to Rick Tockett staples. And as a result, you give guys that can shoot the puck an opportunity with time, they're going to make you pay. And that's what the Kraken did. Yeah, I mean, I looked at that and I first thought it was a soft goal, but then you could kind of see how he did get locked up with Zadorov's skate. But, like, look at the distance from the nearest Canuck forward to Schultz when yeah. he took that shot. He had all sorts of room, right? And, you know, like, when you look at the Canuck goals, first of all, like, you talked about this being the second game for Philip Grubauer since December the 9th, and early on he looked shaky, and they just didn't find a way to test him at all. And if you look at both Canuck goals... Right, The first goal, they got a fortunate bounce off the end boards. Grubauer loses a stick in the net, and JT Miller winds up scoring his 29th. And then the second goal was a double deflection. It was like, you know, it was like the magic bullet in JFK, right? So they got fortunate to get two tonight. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like you talked about, I mean, it was the, uh, the 4-2 goal. Eberle on his own rebound. Demko makes a fantastic save on the first shot, and there are four Canucks just watching. Zadorov kind of knew that Eberly was there and kind of went there, but like there were, he was literally between four Canucks when he took the shot. It was awful. Two yeah. goals in two goals in one eleven. Like it was just, oh my god! Just watching that, um, it, it, this is just not the team we've seen. It is not, and I don't think it's all the schedule. I do think there's a level of lack of confidence uh, that's with this group right now. They are fighting a little, little bit, even when they went through that stretch of ten games where they one lost, one lost all the way through. You know, we still saw them play the same way throughout all ten games. It was just a bounce here or there, or you know, you didn't get a timely goal here or there, whatever it may have been. But we haven't seen this team play like this at any point this season, and I know it's one game. But it's on the heels of three losses where you needed to have some urgency. And regardless of schedule, there was none tonight. And watching them in their own end, I wasn't sure who was coaching. Well, and just to go back to that Everly goal that makes it 4-2, to two, and at that point there was no coming back for the Vancouver Canucks, you know, that starts with a clean face-off win. Jared McCann just, like, 
cleans the clock of Teddy Bluger. Teddy Bluger's been a nice story. He's had lots of good games. This was not one of his better ones. I think Philip Hironik. I know Rick Tockett didn't want to get into individuals, but Ilya Mikheyev gets benched two shifts in the third period, just over seven minutes of ice time. Like, I don't know what they do with this guy, but man, he has fallen so far, so fast, and... You know, talk it talked after the morning skate this morning. I asked him about the fourth line, the way it's constructed, and he admitted that it's an issue right now and said teams that go far in the playoffs have a fourth line with an identity. And he said, We've lost that right now. Nils Amon brings you next to nothing. Ilya Mikheyev is just a complete ghost right now. And maybe we shouldn't even be bothering talking about the fourth line guys because let's be honest, the problem starts higher in the lineup. This was a no-show night for Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, Elias Lindholm. Uh, they're just, they're like, you know, and JT opened the scoring. Good for him. He scored in all three on the road trip. Five goals. Like, it's hard to knock his performance, but he is one of the better players. He's part of the power play. And, you know, outside of the goal, I didn't think it was a banner night for him. He had that partial breakaway at one nothing and shot from, like, 40 feet out. I mean... Yeah, the short-handed the short-handed one. Could he not have got a little closer to the net? I mean, maybe yeah. he heard some footsteps, whatever the case. But, I mean, I do think you have to lay it at the feet of your best players and include Quinn Hughes in that. And, and Quinn Hughes owns some of it. I mean, he said it starts with him. And I would say since the All-Star break, I just don't think that he has been anywhere close to the player that he was for the first 50 games of this season. You mentioned Ronick. You touched on him and, and Taka didn't want to get into individuals. Ronick was not good tonight. No. You know, and we talked about that one sequence early on that, that kind of got the ice tilted late in the first, but throughout this game, he was not good. He was lost on the power play. The entries were a mess with him involved. They shouldn't put him on there again, at least not on PP1. Um, you know, so those two need to be able, be on top of their game offensively because we know that Ronick has had some defensive hiccups, right? I mean, we do think that uh, Hughes has shown that that he can play uh, in his own end, right? Like he he has improved that part of his game, but it hasn't been good in this little stretch. And in in, in Ronick's case, he's been average defensively throughout. Like he neither needs to tighten up there or he needs to make sure the puck's at the other end of the ice. So I didn't like Ronick's game at all. And with Mikheyev, I mean, I don't know. I thought I saw some flashes earlier on this trip, but it's feeling like Louis Erickson right now, yeah. right? That it's like you notice little things. And I guess he can kill penalties, right? So that's an important part of what he's doing there. But the fact that Archie Baines can come in and be as noticeable as in, look, in fairness, he's getting elevated in the lineup, right? He's not sitting there buried on a fourth line. But those guys on the fourth line haven't done anything to show that they should be getting more. And why wouldn't you put Phil Kessel in? Yeah. I'd nope. take seven minutes of Phil Kessel over this. Yeah, I mean, it's starting to feel that way. And, and we'll find out, I guess, uh, you know, the Canucks are home for three now. And so maybe we'll get a better sense. Uh, everything. There's kind of been a cone of silence over Phil Kessel after that first day and the video that was out there. And, you know, the Canucks weren't thrilled with some of the video that uh, was put out of Phil Kessel. Again, it was his first day. Nobody covers this team anymore. So it's easy to be a cone of silence. There's nobody covering Abbotsford. Teams on the road, barely anybody's there. Like, no one covers this team. So they can be silent. It's just what they want. Hey, I was here in Seattle. And look what happened. <laughs> yes. No, but I was glad I was here this morning because there was a lot going on. And it does feel for the first time all season like they are starting to throw some things at the wall, certainly on the power play. Like, their first power play, I mean, how bizarre is it that Brock Besser wasn't out there for the first power play on PP1? He leads this team in goals yeah. and in power play goals, and they elect to take him off. And that just tells you right now 
they're in their own heads. It's not just an issue for the fans and the media. They know it. I mean, it's one for 28 now. They had four shots on goal on four power play opportunities. So uh, despite all the talk about getting more shots and trying to configure things so that they could shoot the puck, they ended up with four shots on, on four power play opportunities. But for the first time, the power play is affecting the rest of the game. It truly is. Because they've had bad power plays and they've been able to take it on the next shift and generate. Right now, like when you see them coming off of a power play, it, it is completely sagging right now. I mean, and again, this is one game and maybe this is overreaction Thursday. I don't know. Am I wrong? Like, do you, do you not see it seeping into their lack of confidence in other parts of their game right now? And as far as the power play itself, Talkett was critical of them passing up shots. And today he said the few times we did take shots, no one's getting a loose puck. Right. So, you know, I think Shorty said on the broadcast that sometimes the simplest play in hockey is a shot and a rebound. But I just thought it was fascinating. So Besser isn't on the first unit on the first power play and then he's out there for the second power play and they take Lindholm off by the fourth power play. The heroic experiment's over and Pia Suter's back there. Like, again, it just they're grasping. Well, they have to, right? Like, what do, you, what do you want them to do, right? Like, the Heronic thing clearly wasn't working. I'm glad they made the change they did. Right, but but it's to the point that even if they score, that doesn't solve their issues. Like, this thing is now beyond a funk. It is at some levels of despair, and there's too much talent out there. So they do have to figure this out. They've got to figure it out because the other night in Colorado, with six minutes to go, they got a power play in a 2-1 game. That should have been the equalizer. It wasn't here Again, they were not the better team, but they had four power play opportunities and maybe a power play goal somewhere along the line gets them to the point where they can muster a point out of this game. Seattle scored a power play goal, so the Kraken win the special teams battle. And actually, I mean, they score one official power play goal and the done goal comes two seconds after the Lindholm penalty. So it wasn't a power play, but it does come sort of with a, a man advantage, certainly the remnants of, of an early power play. So, you know, so much focus on the power play right now, uh, but the penalty kill has taken on all sorts of water and even, like, take the Minnesota meltdown out of the equation. Winnipeg scored two power play goals against them. Seattle gets a power play goal here. I think somebody said it's 10 power play goals against in 10 games since the All-Star break, including the four that they gave up uh, in Minnesota. So it's not just the power play. It cuts both ways here right now. Special teams are atrocious, and this team is too good. The personnel is too good to have this be as prolonged as it has been here for this 10-game stretch. You're not wrong. And, you know, and when it comes to the power play, like you can't look at the personnel because this power play group has had success. And you mentioned too much talent. So and I'm just thinking about what happens in the next two weeks. Right. Like what is what this team has shown in the last week and a half? What are you thinking right now if you're Jim Rutherford? You talk about throwing things up against the wall and, and the desperation that comes with that. And maybe Phil Kessel is a part of that here for for this team. But what do you do, right? Like, you, you're going to go out and get more power play talent? Like, what's that going to cost you? It has to be with the guys in the room and the guys on the ice on PP1. Like, you, you can't go look for help elsewhere. And and same thing on the back end as far as the PK is concerned, right? Like, this team was built with some additional penalty killers this year. Suter was brought in for that for that purpose. Uh, Bluger was brought in for that purpose. Joshua has really improved in that area. I know he's hurt, but, you know, he's skating now. May get, might get back sooner than later. Like, they, they've brought pieces specifically to address the penalty kill. And if nothing else, Mikheyev should give them that. 
Yeah. Right? Like if we're not seeing your skating and, you know, they look, they overshot when they signed him thinking there was more in there offensively. And we knew what the numbers were, right? Like you can't go sign guys off a high watermark because that's that's just not who they are realistically. And they took that chance and they paid him, you know, a pretty good dollar for that. And if nothing else, you better be able to kill penalties. So this team was built with some of those things in mind. And, you know, Sam Lafferty is another guy that's done that previously. So what do you do? You can't go out and get more penalty killers now. You just got to hope Susie comes back and gets healthy and Joshua comes back and gets healthy. But you can't be a team that can't have anybody hurt. You have to be able to function with some guys hurt. We're talking about a bottom pair defenseman and a third line forward and they can't function. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'm totally with you there that if you can't get by without depth players. Now, Joshua is a good depth player. Well, yeah, but what happens if Quinn Hughes gets hurt? No, that's what I mean, is if you can't get by without depth players, then you're a fraudulent hockey club, ultimately. And I'm not saying the Canucks are that, but if they're saying, oh, well, it's us because Dakota Joshua's out of the lineup, come on. They've got guys higher in the lineup that have to do more. Rick Tockett wouldn't name names, but I think it's pretty evident uh, he's talking about the guys that are right up there at the top of the lineup, at the top of the scoring chart for the Vancouver Canucks. By the way, speaking of Dakota Joshua... Like, we were wondering if he was pricing himself out of the Canucks' uh, range with his performance on the ice. Who knew that missing a bunch of games would prove just how valuable? Like, I think the rate is going up here with every game that he doesn't play for the Vancouver Canucks. No kidding. You're right. I mean, like, the fact that Connor Garland had to go out there and fight tonight, right? Like, that was ugly. But, yeah, you're right. Like Him not playing and what's happened to this team, just because all of a sudden that third line has been eliminated and not only are they not providing offense, they can't provide just a spark, right? Because they, they would still be able to tilt the ice for a shift and it, the other shifts might come in after that and be able to, to pick up off of that, even if that third line didn't score on any given night. So yeah, like you're right. Like he is, the price is going up and I've said of all the guys on one year deals, that's the first guy I would sign because I see top six power forward there in the next year. They better figure it out. And I don't know what's happening to Pedersen's price because I tell you this, no matter how bad he plays, the price isn't coming down. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that his contract has sort of been put on the back burner just because the losing streak has taken precedent, the power play right now, even though he's a big part of that. But no, I mean, he's locked into a range. If you're a back-to-back 100-point guy, there really isn't a whole lot of wriggle room. I mean, he's getting his. There's no question about that. Top of range, my friend. And, you know, early on in the season, and I don't believe the contract is a distraction at all, but early on in the season... It was easy to not talk about it because he was playing lights out, right? So, and we saw this with Bo Horvat, right? That, hey, obviously you're handling it as well as possible because you're on top of your game despite all of this. You know, now he's not on top of his game. So, you know, and we thought there might be some, I don't want to say resolution, but we thought the nut might get pushed forward a little bit coming out of the All-Star break, but nothing. I mean, it's clear this is going nowhere until after the season. So, I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's adding pressure to him or not. Well, going nowhere. That uh, is an apt description of uh, the way the Canucks were, were going in this one here in Seattle. 5-2 the final. The Kraken defeat the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks with just 16 even-strength shots on the night. The Kraken had 27, scored four times, and then the empty netter, obviously. I guess a power play goal and the empty netter. And Thatcher Demko has dropped three in a row for the first time all season, and we've seen him play better 
And it's too bad. I mean, the dads and the mentors uh, out on this road trip, and they don't see a victory for the Vancouver Canucks, and I'm not blaming them in any way. I don't even think there's a correlation here. It's just unfortunate that uh, they come to, to support their, their sons or brothers, and uh, they don't get to see a team that's won so much all season long, and all of a sudden in the midst of a, a four-game losing streak. You're going to hear from the coach. You're going to hear from Thatcher Demko. You'll hear from Quinn Hughes as well. We'll get to our three-star selection, a staff that stands out, some listener feedback. So a lot still ahead as we come your way from Climate Pledge Arena, where the Kraken defeated the Vancouver Canucks 5-2. It's Jeff and Farhan with you. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Breaking down this 5-2 Seattle victory over the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Going to get to the locker room now and uh, hear from Rick Tockett, uh, Quinn Hughes, the captain, and Thatcher Demko as well. All of the audio here on Rinkwide Vancouver, a presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneers of the no-appointment oil change, and now they're providing tire service and sales. No appointment needed there either. 16 locations in the Lower Mainland. For one near you, go to MrLube.com. And Rick Tockett, right off the hop as uh, the coach made his way out to meet the media, was just asked about how different this game and this result felt compared to a few of the others here on the road trip. Yeah, I don't have really much, you know, me, I, I sometimes have a lot to say. I don't have much to say. Just a lot of not much compete from the guys. That's on me. I got to take the blame for that. What? I didn't get the guys to compete hard enough, so, I, so I'll, I'll take the heat on this one. We just had, it was a lot of no-shows tonight. Now, he says a lot of no-shows, and he's not wrong, and we discussed that. But he also says this one's on him. How, how much is that him taking a bullet for the hockey club or how much is that a distraction ploy? I mean, they're all in it together. How, how much should the coach take on? Is he truly responsible for not getting this group ready for this hockey game? Not at all. I, I think that this is more a case of uh, him wanting to politely say we sucked bad. <laughs> so I could, But I'm blaming myself, but we really sucked bad. Right. And but but again, it's my fault. Right. So that's that's kind of his passive aggressive way of of going about it. You know, and look, I, I think he's pushed the right buttons. I think he's done a good job of, of using the media to hold him accountable from time to time. And then maybe this is one of them. But uh, yeah, he, he had a lot of pointed things without pointing at specific players. I was amused that he said, I don't have a lot to say and then went on and had a lot to say. So it was uh, it was good. Eh? Like you, you can't disagree with him. There were a lot of no shows in this game. Right. And so this was another one of the quotes that stood out to me post game where he talked about and didn't name names, but just said, like, we need some of these guys to get going to snap this losing streak. It's not just leadership. You're looking for everybody. And I don't care who you are. Just worry about your game. Everybody's capable of doing things, but are we willing to do it right now? There's some games there. And I don't want to, like I said, I thought we played good in Colorado, Minnesota, you know, whatever, five, four, three on twos, whatever, three on five on threes. Um, so it's not been horrible. I don't want to go crazy because of this game, but we've had some four or five guys or no-shows here at four or five games. Now they got to pick it up. They got to do something. 
well, you know me, Farhan. He drops a do something at the I end. Know. I am all for that. <laughs> like, Rick talking stock went up a couple notches in my eyes. I was like, hey, you're stealing my material, man. But uh, uh, I, he's not wrong there either that uh, they need some guys to do something. It's been way too quiet uh, for Brock Besser really since uh, Christmas, but particularly since the All-Star break and a garbage time goal in a goofy game in Minnesota is really all he's got to show. I mean, he made a nice play to Miller on the one nothing goal in Denver the other night, but he's a goal scorer and uh, he's kind of been uh, scuffling along for, for far too long. Elias and Elias, uh, you know, you hoped when they made the trade that it was going to bring out the best in both of those. And I'm not sure you can say that. And we saw Rick talk in the third period. Finally, saw Connor Garland playing with JT Miller. There was some different looks for this hockey club. So I think in the third period, he was just kind of pulling out the stops and hoping to find something that worked for him. But uh, Ima- serious- Imagine being Connor Garland right now and saying, boy, I can't wait for Joshua to come back so I don't have to play with these plugs in the top six. <laughs> Look, the power play is uh, one of the focal points. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a big part of that and has had so much success on NHL power plays uh, throughout his time with the Vancouver Canucks, but it's just not happening for him or the hockey club. One for 28 now, 0 for 4 in this hockey game. And Quinn Hughes was asked about uh, the struggles, the continuing struggles of the power play. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously it's going to be a focal point till um, we have a little bit more success and that's just the way it's going to be. But, um, you know, no one cares more than the guys that are on the ice. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to figure this out and get the job done. And if we can, I'm sure, you know, the fine guys that can. Well, I got to laugh at that uh, last part there. Uh, if it's not them, I, I don't know who Quinn Hughes thinks that the Canucks are going <laughs> to, do they have outside of Phil Kessel waiting in the wings? I don't think they've got like a new power play one just waiting somewhere. Matt Irwin is going to get called up to anchor, <laughs> hold down PP one. It's just a matter of time. Oh my goodness. But it just shows you a level of frustration and desperation for him to even pull out a line like that because no, you're right. there is nobody else. You got to figure it out, <laughs> young man. And look, I, I, of all the guys in this group, the guy that I have the most belief in is 43, right? Like, I mean, I, I absolutely believe in the captain that his game is going to be where it needs to be when it needs to be there. Um, but it's it's frustrating for him and, and just the entire group because they're all desperate, right? And think of the number of times early on in the season where we just saw him when nobody was expecting it, just fire a wrist shot at the net, right? Just, just do that. I mean, early on in his career, it was all about walking the line. And if he couldn't shake free doing that, there wasn't necessarily a second move there. Whereas now he's got more arrows in the quiver. He's, he's just got to play them and they just got to start simplifying what they're doing. I and mean, talk and talked about this as well, that the, you know, teams are going to pressure you on the power play, especially when you have those kinds of players and you've got to be able to fight through that and, and find ways. And, and for me, just watching how static they've been for the last, you know, five or six games, it's, it's, I watched this team on the power play. I'm like, who am I watching? Right? I mean, we've talked about this group being too power play dependent from time to time. Wouldn't you love to have a little bit of that now? Yep. I mean, they just look lost in the wilderness right now. And and they'll get it back together. They will score a power play goal again before the season is through. Yeah, but it it's not even about that now, right? Because they scored one the other day and it was just kind of a, it, it was a fortunate goal. They need to show that they're creating. They need to show that, you know, that movement, that fluidity, because just watching it, it's not even that they're not producing. It's awful to watch, Yeah. right? Like it's it's just so herky-jerky. Um, Blake sent out the perfect gif when he when he had Elaine from Seinfeld <laughs> dancing. It was just, it yeah. was, it was just locked. It was perfect. 
But that's the part that troubles me is that, yeah, they can score a goal uh, on a one for six nights and the other five power plays do nothing for them. They need to change what it looks like. Right, the process has to be better. It's not just the it's not just the goals. Yeah, a goal might lead to some confidence here or there, but that one goal the other night didn't lead to much more after that. They need to change their process. Well, Thatcher Demko's not part of the power play, so he's not going to be a solution there. He can be a solution on the penalty kill, but Thatcher Demko asked about the first four game losing streak of the season and just sort of where this team is mentally uh, coming off four straight losses. You know, it's not going to be a perfect season. You know, it's the first bit of adversity that we face, so. I'm sure it's fun to write that we're struggling or whatever, but, um, you know, it's it's part of the game, it's part of the sport, and, um, you know, we're learning from it. Um, you know, maybe the one good thing about the seasons that we've had in the past is that we've been through stretches like this, and um, I'd like to think that we've learned a lot from those those seasons. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, we just got to come together internally and, and work through yeah, I'm not sure that I needed uh, the netminder playing the old, you guys love writing about this kind of stuff. Like, it has that's, been... That's who he is now. It's that's been who he is. nothing but sunshine and roses in terms of the coverage of this club all year long. And so we're pointing out some of the flaws right now, of course. But I don't know that anybody's taking great delight. Uh, but I did think it was interesting there, the second part of that, where, you know, all those dark years that he referenced... Now they're drawing on those because they've had experience yeah. with long losing streaks. So who knew that they could put those seasons to good use? But apparently that is what they're drawing on now for the guys that uh, went through uh, the last couple of seasons here with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, don't, don't draw on that too much. And yeah, I kind of had a bit of an eye roll. Yeah, of course, we're, we're having fun uh, talking about uh, them them having some adversity, right? I mean, this this season has been fun for all of us just because of how dark these other seasons have been, right? I mean, normally you, you don't get into cheering for, for a team that you cover, um, but... You know, you certainly do like the other side of it when it's been so much gloom uh, for the last, uh, you know, like 2014 minus one season, right? So, um, uh, yeah, I don't think anybody's cheering or, or excited about writing about a struggling team, but it certainly allows us to change the material a little bit. You look at some of the goals he allowed and you kind of, you know, you, you may or may not question some of them, but I got to be honest, he, is, he made some incredible saves again tonight, right? Like, what could this game have looked like if it were not for some of the plays that, that he did wind up making? I mean, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think he's still on top of his game. Yeah, I mean, I look early, like they got shot nine to five in the first period. Uh, it was one one there, but uh, Seattle could have pulled away there. 12 seven in the second period. So the shots were 21 to 12 through 40 minutes of play, and it felt like it. The ice was tilted, and Thatcher Demko was busy and and was uh, called upon. And you're right, he did make some saves. Unfortunately, uh, four get past him, and then uh, the empty netter. So disappointment all around. You can sort of feel it, and we'll see again. Uh, stakes go up for a game against Boston on Saturday afternoon, four o'clock, by the way, which is interesting because Toronto's in Colorado. Like Hockey Night's got a marquee matchup in that early window, and yet the Canucks and the Bruins, and people can roll their eyes about special treatment for the East. Keep in mind that the Canucks have absolutely owned the Toronto Maple Leafs in that four o'clock time slot on home ice going back like 15 years. So maybe there's something to that. Uh, get the game out of the way early and go on with your, your Saturday evening. But uh, it is a four o'clock start, the Canucks and the Boston Bruins on Saturday. Let's get to the rink-wide Vancouver three-stars selection out of this hockey game. The three stars here at Climate Pledge is selected by the Seattle media. Jared McCann, Jordan Everly, and Philip Grubauer gets the third star nod I agree with McCann. He had a goal and three assists and was a force, and the guy just shoots the puck, and I could sit and watch him shoot the puck all night long. 
just look at his night. I mean, three shots on, actually felt like he had more. He had three shots on four attempts. Jordan Everly had five shots, scored on two of them, including the empty netter. But McCann had four points, Everly had three. I'm going with Justin Schultz, who scored and also had an assist. And I thought, obviously, defensively, the Kraken were good. I mean, to hold the Vancouver Canucks, and we know the Canucks can be an explosive group, to hold the Canucks at bay and give up just the two goals. I've got the defenseman, Justin Schultz, as the third star. So Jared McCann, Jordan Everly, Justin Schultz, uh, three guys whose names all start with J, and I'm all for that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised Grubar. I mean, you give up two goals and really didn't have to do much no. tonight at all. I didn't see that. But, uh, I mean, you get a shutout maybe, but not, yeah, not tonight. And I think it's fair that uh, you pick all three from the Canucks that, uh, or from the Kraken, rather. I'm not even sure that uh, there's a Canuck that's worth honorable mention. Uh, we haven't spent a lot of time, and, and I don't think we ought to, but uh, Rick Tockett said before the game, you know, sometimes the debut is the easy game to play. It's the second, the third, the fourth, trying to keep at that level. Arshdeep Baines earned the promotion based on his play in Colorado the other night and didn't do a whole lot with it. And I'm not dumping on him because, uh, uh, again, this guy's second NHL game. There are issues much higher in the food chain, but 12 minutes and 57 seconds, just one shot on goal, and really didn't notice him as this game unfolded. Yeah, I know. I felt the same. And, and you know, whether or not that's chemistry with that line, I know JP, JT Miller had a lot of good things to say about him from, you know, the one time he skated with him uh, during during training camp. And I, yeah, I thought it might be a good fit. And he talked about trying to get his speed and, and physicality and ability to kind of retrieve pucks as something that might help get Miller going. Um, so the fit wasn't there. But I, I do think that JT's kind of an acquired taste. And when I say that, I mean, I think it takes time to get to, to learn how to play with a player like that. Right. Um Whereas, uh, you know, you play on a third line and, and the role is a little bit different. But either way, look, I, I, I think Archie Baines was far from the worst Canuck in the lineup tonight. So hopefully uh, he gets a chance to play in front of the home fans on Saturday against Boston and we'll see what kind of role he gets. Still lots ahead here on Required Vancouver. We'll get to our stat that stands out uh, and certainly looking forward to hearing and seeing what you, the fans and the listeners had to say about a 5-2 loss at the end of this road trip. The Canucks go 0-3 on the road trip, uh, include the Winnipeg loss before the trip, and that is four straight setbacks, all in regulation for the Vancouver Canucks and... They've opened the scoring in all four of those games as well. And usually uh, earlier in the season, first goal was a meal ticket for the Vancouver Canucks, but that hasn't been the case. So it's not a question of slow starts. It's been more as games have unfolded here. And again, they played well against Winnipeg and Colorado, didn't get results. Uh, there was the third period issues in Minnesota. This one really start to finish outside of JT Miller opening the scoring four and a half minutes in. 5-2, the Canucks fall Two, the Kraken season series is done. Seattle takes two of three from the Vancouver Canucks. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Seattle Kraken 5-2 winners over the Vancouver Canucks at Climate Pledge Arena. My first look at this building, I used to call games here in the Western Hockey League when it was Key Arena, of course, uh, there's a matter of a billion dollars spent to uh, refurbish this to make it ready for a, a National Hockey League facility. And it is a terrific facility, great uh, atmosphere. Obviously, when the Kraken are winning, people are having fun, but it's a loud building. Music, a big part of the whole game presentation. And they were jumping tonight as the Kraken defeat the Vancouver Canucks. So you just kind of get a feel of what it might be if and when these teams ever do meet in the playoffs. 
a stat that stands out, uh, I guess I have to go with the power play, one for 28. I mean, we've talked it to death, but it's on the Canucks to, to change it. The other layer of that is, for all the talk today about more shots, just four power play shots on four opportunities. So eight minutes of power play time for the Vancouver Canucks and four shots. Really, more of the same, except that it was a a bunch of different looks and nothing is happening but one for 28 right now. And to make it worse, that tracks back to the game in Boston where the Bruins scored two shorthanded goals in the first period. Farhan, the Canucks are net minus one on the power play over their last nine hockey games. Wow. <laughs> Who would have thought that with this group? Uh, yeah. You know, like one positive stat, Lindholm was 11 for 13 in the circle. Um, but <laughs> which you wouldn't have thought because it felt like the Canucks never had the puck tonight. But, uh, you know, and, and he certainly struggled offensively. But, uh, yeah, it, it is amazing just when you think about the shorthanded goals they've given up. Uh, you know, it's something that you just wouldn't have seen from this team in the first half of the season. All right. Uh, we've had our say here, and you've heard from the coach and a couple of the players as well. Let's get to uh, our feedback channels at Rinkwide Van and uh, see what the listeners uh, thought about this one. Uh, Talk its cheekbone says Lindholm may be bad for team chemistry. I don't know that you can lay it at his feet, but I don't think he's he hasn't been as good as they had hoped. And he wasn't having a great season in Calgary. He's a better player than his numbers would indicate. But yeah, still waiting for him to make more of a mark and maybe with a little practice time. That's that's sort of the one out I'll give him is that everything's been done on the fly just because they've been playing so much and traveling that he really hasn't had a lot of power or practice time with this group. So they didn't really acquire him for. February and March, uh, his payoff will come in the playoffs, and there are going to be some expectations, obviously, that uh, he plays and produces a little more than he has through his first 10 games with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and you, you wonder how much of it is him and how much of it is, is Pedersen, right? Because they, they want to find somebody who can play with him, and we've seen him have success with the lotto line, and this year, start, when they did get together, it started well, and then it kind of fell off the face of the earth pretty quickly there, right? So... You wonder, right, whether Pedersen's become, I don't want to say difficult to play with, but it takes time. Like, I, I just feel like he's in a bit of a funk and he's kind of bringing everybody that's on his line in a bit of a funk with him because he he's the straw that stirs the drink on, on any line that he potentially plays on, right? So, um, you know, I, I don't know if he wants to get back with Besser or, or wh- whatever it happens to be. I don't know. We, you know, we, we went through this with Horvat for years where they couldn't find adequate wingers. We thought we had it figured out with Pedersen a year ago with Kuzmenko. That obviously didn't really work out this year. And uh, and here we are again, right, as they're, they're kind of navel-gazing, trying to figure it out. Trent says... Absolutely no player combo seemed to be working power player otherwise, and and I would agree with that. Just totally disconnected. Christian says, Canucks look tired. Could the All-Star break be the one that takes us down? And again, all of that fan voting to get all these Canucks into the All-Star game, and, you know, uh, six guys play the All-Star game and then play 10 games in 17 nights, and maybe there is uh, some lingering effects there. Next year, Vote for guys to have like a weekend in Cabo instead of uh, having to go to wherever the All-Star game is next year. Uh, John says the Canucks are deeper when Hoaglander is driving the fourth line, should consider finding an alternate winger for the Elias-Elias combo. There is something to that. I mean, earlier in the season, Nils Hoaglander didn't just give the fourth line a boost, but there was all sorts of production there. They've robbed from the fourth line to move him up. He hasn't been as productive there. And we saw that earlier in the season when he played with JT Miller and Brock Besser. And again, I'm not knocking Nils Hoaglander because the effort is there, but it's funny. Like it almost feels like he is better suited and a more productive player lower in the lineup. 
Yeah, you could be right. I mean, but at the end of the day, they don't have a lot of options to, to elevate no. right now, no. right? And especially they went through that period of time where they just were not going to break up the fourth or the third line come hell or high water. It just wasn't getting changed. And you can't blame them for that. So that becomes one of the byproducts that you've got to find someone else to potentially go up. And and I, you know, I, I've noticed him. Like, I, I like what I'm seeing from Nils Hoaglander in that spot. You know, so maybe he gets better matchups when he's playing in a fourth line role. Maybe Taka was onto something saying he can't overplay this kid because, you know, maybe he fatigues a little bit, uh, what have you. But uh, I don't know. I, st- I am a big Nils Hoaglander guy, and I want to see him playing higher in the lineup. And I think the fact that he's really taken to that puck retrieval role, I think theoretically should make him really work well with Pedersen. I don't see why this all-Swedish line isn't working. Here's one from Robbie. I sort of agree with this. Like I don't, Robbie says, I don't understand why we aren't seeing the lotto line when they need a goal in the third period. Like, they ran the league for a couple of weeks there in January, and we haven't seen them since. And I, I don't need them to line up that way from the start of a game. But when you're down, going to the third period, and there's not a whole lot happening, like, what would the downside of going back to lotto line and hoping that you can find a little magic? Yeah, no, I would agree. Uh, like I said, I, I don't want to see them together as a full-time line. But uh, in certain stages in a game, I think it's a smart thing to do. I, I, I think it gives all of them a little bit of a jolt. And um, I think they, I don't want to say take it for granted, but they kind of... You know, when it's all the time, they don't necessarily have that excitement or urgency. When they play together in in short bursts, I think it works for all three of them. Well, we'll leave the last word to Jack, who says, it's hard to win at that level when only half your team is giving an honest effort. Good time for the boys to go home and regroup, perhaps, uh, practice. Now, they are supposed to skate on Friday uh, because Saturday's game is early, so there won't be a morning skate there. I was a little surprised, three and four with travel that they wouldn't get a day off, but they did have a day off here in Seattle on Wednesday. And again, you can't really have it both ways. You can't lament the lack of practice time. And then when you get an opportunity, don't take advantage. So I don't know how long they'll skate, but a quick flight home, obviously, from Seattle. So uh, they're supposed to be on the ice at UBC uh, during the noon hour on Friday. I'll be in Vegas. I won't be. I won't <laughs> be there for you tomorrow or this weekend. But look, they need it. Uh, they they need it. And I know sometimes teams need to get away and they need to get rest. This team needs to practice. And you know whether it's getting a guy like Elias Lindholm kind of up to speed on certain structural things that you can break down in practice the way a film session doesn't do justice to. Um, you know whether it's Archie Baines who hasn't had a, you know even though it's the same systems in Abbotsford, it's different when you're doing it at this speed with these guys. Like if it's me, I would I would go thirty. 30 good minutes and then maybe keep the power play out for another 15 and, you know, and, and not, not make it a, you know, a belabored thing, but they need to be on the ice. They need to practice. I thought you were going to say lock the power play guys in a room and uh, don't let them on the ice, but uh, we're, maybe we're not there yet. Uh, it was interesting. The morning skate here in Seattle was a heavy morning skate. And again, it came after a day off where, you know, guys were free to roam the town with their dads, and that's great. But it kind of felt like Rick Tockett, you know, again, no practice time. So he almost used a morning skate like a practice, but there's the issue of you had a game to play. So you don't want to skate guys into the ground. But uh, I thought it was interesting that it was a, a very comprehensive morning skate, unlike a lot of the ones that we see from Rick Tockett. So, all right. So you're heading out of town. The Canucks are coming back home. I planned it that way. You know. And maybe it shouldn't be all these years later, but it is still a damn big deal when the Boston Bruins come to town. For sure it is. Uh, You know, and like at the end of the day, I don't know that it's going to get these players going anymore, right? Because it's it's a big deal to fans. You know, for those of us that, that covered it then, 
but I, I don't think it trickles its way down to the players. I, do you? Like, I, I, I'm not feeling that from any of these guys. The youngest players on this team, guys like Hoaglander, you know, 10 years old. You know who it's going to matter to? It's going to matter to Arshdeep Baines. Yeah. Because he's, mean, he's talked bit. about falling in love no, with this right. team in that 2011 run. It matters to the fans. And so if they can bring a little added energy, uh, Canucks have been lights out good on home ice all season long. The Winnipeg lost notwithstanding, and they played well in that game. They just did, didn't get a result. But, you know, they got shut out by the Bruins. They got embarrassed. They, prior to this game, I think the Boston game was the closest thing we had seen to a no-show from the Vancouver Canucks. So there have been a few now uh, since the All-Star break. Hopefully whether it's the fan energy, whether it's the players recognizing what this game means to the fan base in the city, they just have to be a whole lot better than they were here against the Seattle Kraken. They haven't had many of these this year, and that's the the best news. So, you know, you, you don't want to carve them when you still look at their record, but, you know, one of the reasons they got the record to what it was is because their best players were the best players. Depth chip players were following in. Special teams have won them some hockey games. Goaltending's been there. All of that is kind of uh, in disarray right now. So we'll see what they can do to regroup and take on the Boston Bruins 4 o'clock on Saturday, and we'll have a post-game podcast after that one. Uh, they don't want this four-game losing streak to become five. And, and really, they, they got Boston, they got Pittsburgh, they get their first look at the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, you know, there aren't a lot of easy games uh, on the horizon for the Vancouver Canucks, but this is the NHL, and uh, you hear it all the time. Really, there are no easy games, especially if you play the way the Canucks did in this one here against Seattle. Yeah, you're right. The schedule isn't going to do them any favors, you know, and they've, they've had their share of easy games early on this year, and we've said this before. Look, they've, they've won tough games, but now it's going to be just tough games for a little while here, so this is going to be a meat grinder. This is going to feel more like playoff hockey. This is going to be a team that needs to dig in a little bit, right? Because you, you'll get moments in the playoffs where you might lose two straight, and you got to make a knot and hang on and find a way to fight back into a series, and, and you know, that's where they are right now. I mean, we know they're going to get into the playoffs, but you also can't just go into the playoffs with your tail between your legs. And and there's a long way to go before they get to those games in April. But the one thing, you know, you talk about all those things they did well individually. For me, I think it's been the collective. And that meaning, you know, when they had that 10-game stretch, it was win one, lose one. They never let it build. You know, when they've had a couple of two-game losing streaks, they've never let it build, right? They've been able to have that resolve to understand where they were to not take the schedule and the, the points in the bank for granted, and they have fought. They have shown up. They didn't show up tonight. So that's got to be the big wake-up call, and that's what's got to change on Saturday. They got to show up, because if they don't, Boston's going to run them out of their own building. And nobody, nobody in Vancouver uh, wants to see that, uh, live through that in 2011. Uh, although it really was only game seven that they ran them out of the building. It was most of the time it was the games in Boston. Great stuff, Farhan. Appreciate it as always. We'll get you back on another episode soon. Enjoy Vegas. I will, actually, I'm not going to be in Vegas. I'm staying in St. George, Utah. Ah, all right. Because my son's got a football tournament in Mesquite, uh, Nevada. Which okay. So we're just flying into Vegas, gotcha. and then we'll see the casinos on the way as we drive <laughs> into Utah. <laughs> well, you were just there for Super Bowl, so you don't need uh, any more Vegas here anytime soon. All right, uh, for Farhan, this is Jeff. Again, the final score, 5-2, the Kraken down the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Required Vancouver.